You know, a few years ago, if I had heard someone like me saying these things, I would have gotten a feeling that I would have called dark. Do you know what I mean? And where I am now, I see that that was just fear. This emotional connection that I had to the religion I was brought up with I had to go. There, It wasn't sustainable. I think that this kind of fear... Fear really uh, stifled my curiosity. And I can see how living out of a sense of duty really blocked me from being able to love. This is the airing of grief. Conversations and correspondence about spiritual de- and reconstruction. Season 2, Episode 13, Complexity and Convergence. Hey, is this? Yes, this is. Hey, it's Derek. How's it going? Hi, it's going fine. How are you? I'm doing fine. Uh, thanks for thanks for uh, taking a minute to chat. Yeah, yeah, glad to. Hello. Hey, is this? This is he. Hey, hey, man. How's it going? This is Derek. Hey, how are you? I'm doing fine. How about you? Okay. Uh, thanks for taking a few minutes to chat. I really appreciate it. Not a problem. Um, so we've got a little bit of time. Tell me, tell me what's on your mind. Tell me your story. Well, I thought we could start with kind of my personal history. Sure. I started. I grew up in a Southern Baptist church in Northeast Tennessee. Oh, okay. Sure. So um, I I am a Texan. I am a fifth generation Texan. Grew hey, up hey. in Southern Baptist Church. Yeah, it may sound a little familiar. <laughs> um, I was a youth group kid of the '90s. And um, was fed um, a lot of, you know, true love weights. We don't drink. Um, yeah. You know, a lot, a lot of legalism um, that didn't serve me well. Mm. Um, I kind of figured out that I wasn't like everybody else pretty early on. Mm. Um, I was afraid to... Um, Except the fact that I was gay, very mm. in middle school, even though all signs pointed to that. Um, I guess when you hear week in and week out that um, God hates gay people and that they're going to hell, you kind of internalize that. And right. I think that's exactly what I did, mm. um, even to the point that I accepted that and started espousing those ideas myself. Yeah. At, you know, at 18, I graduated high school and went off to college and was just very naive about, um, about alcohol, about my sexuality, and, yeah. um, and ended up having a pretty traumatic first semester because I didn't know how to handle those things. Mm. And the summer after my freshman year, I was dating a man who is now my husband, um, and we were, you know, we were just having a good time. We were having a lot of fun. Um, and I got pregnant and, um, immediately quit, quit having fun and snapped back into a very legalistic version of myself. Um, and pretty much, you know, we ended up getting married and 
spent my 20s really trying to be um, what I thought I was supposed to be, mm. um, trying to be a godly wife, a good mother, um, we, you know, trying to find the very best church to raise my kids in. And I guess I started questioning that probably during college. Mm. Um, and I started looking at the Bible differently as a result of, you know, the training I had in college and mm. went on to a master's program at Baylor University, which was both good and bad. Um, it was good because I was further convinced that I was right and that the people that I grew up listening to were not. Mm. Uh, but also, what do you do about it when you're in a university that doesn't allow people to be who they are? Right. You know, looking back, knowing what I know now, I'm 38 now, I, I see that I had PTSD. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, and nobody knew it. I didn't know that. Um, but very, very much um, a lot of dissociation and depersonalization going on at that time. Um, and, you know, I, I grieve that because that could have been, that should have been a very sweet time of enjoying a growing family and, um, you know, newly married years. Mm. And instead, I was just very focused on, well, we have to find the right church. We have to educate them the right way. And so at, at 36, I kind of woke up one day and looked around and I was like, all right, all those things I was working on happened. You know, I helped to found the perfect school for my kids, perfect Christian school. Um, we're at a good church. My husband has his own business. And who the heck am I? Mm. And it launched a pretty serious depression. Um, and I did end up going to counseling, which was great, um, and really processed those those traumas from my first college semester that I had mm. never processed. Um, really unpacked some of the um, the the self hatred and the anxiety that I didn't even know was there. Um, so it was very healing for me, and I actually, you know, started going. All right, I'm I'm ready to figure out who I am and mm -hmm. what I do. And I went back to school and started working on a master's in counseling. It was. Hard for me to navigate that. Um, I, on the one hand, I was very afraid of not being able to finish my master's degree. Right. Then again, um, I did my master's in divinity, and so there was also the question of what does employment look like after that? When you realize <laughs> that, you know, you can't exactly go into the ministry. Yeah, you're complicated higher. <laughs> yeah, very much so. Yeah. Very much so. For a while, I thought that I would just, you know, kind of keep my head down and not make too many waves and hope nobody found out. But that doesn't really work long term. That's not a good strategy. Mm. Um, so I moved back to Tennessee. Um, ended up coming out to my family. And I met someone there who has become a very big part of my life ever since. Mm. Um, mom tried to convinced me to give her time to pray the gay away, and I just wasn't willing to do that. Um, I don't know. I was really angry at the church for a long time because of what I saw them do to me and, and the violence that I committed to other people as a result. My first roommate in college was gay, and I said some pretty terrible things to him, being a mm -hmm. freshman that was still a fundamentalist. Right. 
At this time, I hadn't, this was a couple years ago now that I began, I've got one more year. I hadn't questioned my faith at all. Um, I had, you know, I changed churches. I went from Baptist to a Reformed Presbyterian church and mm. to non-denominational. I bounced around, but um, I'd never, like, questioned my belief at its core. Mm-hmm. And um, my very first semester, I was, you know, being taught by, by my professors about ethics, the ethics and counseling. And, you know, you can't turn away a client um, just because you don't share their values. Mm, that's right, yeah. Yeah, and that was that was pretty hard-hitting for me at the time. I thought, oh, my gosh. So, you know, I could have um, I could have a gay couple come in, and I just have to counsel them and, you know, help them do their best. And at the time, I just, you know, I was still very of the mind that that was wrong, and it would be better if they weren't together. Mm. Um And so I really started trying to read and research um, other lines of thought, trying to to open myself a little bit, but not all the way. Right. Um, And it it feels treacherous, you know. I mean, it's like it's it's a it's you feel like you're pulling a a thread, the end of which you can't see. And you say, if you don't know where it's going, then it's yeah, it feels terrifying. Totally. Yeah, it was very terrifying, and um, I. You know, I found a a conservative theologian who gave a pretty loving stance toward LGBTQ people Mm -hmm. um, that seemed to satisfy at the time. But then I was listening to a series of podcasts where he was interviewing LGBTQ people in the church and with with the whole point of showing that yeah, they can be a part of the church. They can be happy. They just have to be celibate or agree to marry the opposite sex and do the best they can. And I just had this moment where it was like a switch flipped. And I thought, really? Like, that's the best we can do? That feels so arrogant to tell these people that they have to deny who they are at their core. And and I realized, like, I'm done with trying to view the world through systematic theology. I just can't do it anymore. Right. Um, and so that was really the beginning of deconstruction for me. Um, and I remember, you know, pulling my husband aside and telling him, I just, I don't know what I think on this anymore, but I've got to just walk around outside a little bit and, Mm -hmm. and, and see what other people think. And, and he was pretty angry with me, uh, for a while. Um, I think it was more fear that came out as anger. Absolutely. Yeah, you know, I just I kept walking in that direction, and I was I was very terrified, and I kept saying to myself, I don't I don't want to walk away from Jesus. Mm-hmm. I guess if I had to say anything about where I am now with things, I'm not mad anymore, and mm-hmm. I think that's a step in the right direction. Absolutely. Um, I'm doing my doctorate now at Florida State University, and one thing that I've realized based off of the research that I've done, not just into Christianity but also into Islam, is that terrible belief systems are going to justify themselves, and they're not going to go away because we wish that they would. Yes. Um, 
trying to understand how these belief systems work and to remove the conditions that create this fear of what will happen if we, you know, don't read the Quran or the Bible literally and that society itself will not fall apart. Um, Not to say that society is going to be this wonderful thing, but rather, you know, it's not going to crumble just because, well, we allow women to have a place in our society Uh or uh, we bar white supremacy from being a part of Christian worship. Right. Um, Hmm. Wow. And so, so in all of your study along the way and kind of that slow process by which you were discovering all those things, like how how did your personal belief of it um the way that you leaned your weight onto it the, the that belief how did that how was how was that affected and how how did that feel and how does it feel now like where are you with with that it's been a roller coaster in a lot of I bet uh, i remember my second semester in college um I had a professor who, first day of the class, he walks in and writes that God cannot exist on the board, and then shoots down every argument that we gave him as to why God had to exist. Next day, he does the exact opposite, writes on the board that God has to exist, and then proceeds to destroy the arguments that he gave us yesterday. And so I had no clue what to do with any of that, other than to say that this emotional connection that I had to the religion I was brought up with had to go there. It wasn't sustainable because it couldn't address what just happened in the last two days of those classes. Right. But yeah, I think that this kind of fear that my world was going to fall apart that I felt after those couple of days didn't go away. And it didn't go away even though I had all of the quote unquote answers when my grandmother who basically raised me passed away. It didn't have answers for um, how I thought God was leading me at that point to go to a seminary in Texas rather than staying closer to home. Um, And it didn't have answers for what happens if... um, the entirety of your religion basically disowns you because you happen to love men rather than women. Right. And and now I'm six, seven months out from that moment and I've continued. It's like I, my curiosity is just insatiable. Like I just can't get enough now mm. of, um, of listening and reading to all of these other thoughts and ideas about how other ways we can view the world and other ways we can view life. Um, I've read a ton, um, and I just, I find myself all the way at the, at the bottom of that slippery slope right now. Mm. Um, but I I feel free. I'm learning really the power of being more present. Um, and I just feel like I'm at the very base of it, which Mm. I feel like is love. Um, and... And I can see how um, how living out of a sense of duty for all those years really blocked me from being able to love, mm-hmm. um, and how my fear really uh, stifled my curiosity. Like I didn't even know what I was curious about or what mm-hmm. I desired because I didn't allow myself to feel those things. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, I was scared of my feelings. I didn't let myself feel much of anything. 
so yeah it's it's almost like just experiencing this world with new eyes for the first time um, <laughs> <laughs> and it feels really beautiful um, but it's really hard to explain to my family my husband is kind of he hasn't walked exactly the same path, but he's kind of with me. Um, it's more my parents and my yeah. siblings um, who are, you know, deeply distraught and concerned. language just seems so ridiculous because they're like I don't like it, it would be really hard work for someone to persuade me that I needed saving from anything mm -hmm. first of all because I don't feel as though and I and I can already hear everyone putting putting a, a flag on the word feel right there but um, you know that their intuition their their judgment about reality and about themselves and their their reckoning with their own body and and gut is that like they don't there doesn't seem to be anything in particularly wrong with them and with their behavior, maybe, um, and with their choices. And and there's a real difference, I think, is my point, that between loving someone for some reason or some agenda or some aim or goal, as opposed to just loving them because they're a person with dignity and and just to love them and for no particular reason. And I think, yeah. and I think that, and, and that's, that's just a, it's a stark difference. Um, and it really does liberate you to really get close to and get to know someone and hear their story and not constantly basically sourcing information from which you can craft a very persuasive pitch for a worldview. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, and that's yeah. so often what it feels like, but, and I can just tell you, I mean, for me, it's been a whole other level of friendship, honestly, that I've managed to have that I feel like I've never had friends like I have now. And part of it is because I've gone into the relationships, literally wanting to hear their stories, fascinated by the experiences that, that, that they've had and not in any way, in any way, trying to reconcile that with some rigid objective idea of how everything works and what everyone's reality is in terms of spirituality. I, I, I'm detached from that. And so it allows me to just take people as they are to hear their stories and, and to take them at their word. And I don't have to persuade them that it's not true. I don't have to persuade them that they're not who they believe themselves to be. Or um, And so you just wind up being able to interact in a way that's free in a completely different way. And um, you know, which for me has really fundamentally changed my relationships and therefore my life. And it's been such a good thing. I mean, my, but my question to you is like, cause I, cause a, a few minutes ago you said, you know, that even in all of this reckoning that you're doing with what sounds to me like your intuition and the things that just feel or don't feel right, j just in, and, and I, I, I want to be careful and forgive me if I'm imposing this now, but every That's time I right. use the word feel, I, mm -hmm. I can hear all my intellectual friends saying, right there, there's your problem. See, feel. You keep using the word feel. And it's not <laughs> about what you feel. It's about mm -hmm. what's objectively true. And it's about the mm -hmm. truth. And it's not nothing to do with you. It doesn't, ma doesn't care or matter how you feel. And, blah, blah, blah. and I'm like, right, right, right. I, I know that. I get that. I know, what you're, I know what you mean by that. But when I use that word in these terms, 
I'm talking about the same thing that it's like some, some other friends of mine are like, you know, but the, the Bible is true. There's evidence and, and, and spirituality and, and the proof of God and, you know, and all that it's, I was like, right, right. But how do you, how are you determining whether or not it's true? And how are you determining and weighing out its evidence that you're talking about? How are you determining about if not by your gut and your intuition and yes, ultimately your feelings by the grid through which you look at the world that is compiled of your intellect and your experience and your intuition and your gut, like that is the way by which everyone determines what is true for them. Mm. And it's like, so your gut and intuition and feelings tells you that the Bible and evangelicalism and whatever is true. My gut and, and intuition and experience and feelings tell me that it does not ring true. And and it, But the thing is, I, I feel like a lot, especially um, a lot of evangelicals who are defensive when they hear people talking freely about deconstruction and they, they tend to camp on a word like feel and feeling. And you're just, you're, you're just, you're, you're making choices out of just your feelings. And that's so dangerous. And I'm like, you're creating your own truth and you're creating your own truth. And I'm like, well, but that's what everyone, like what, 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 what what faculties do you have by which you are deciding for yourself what rings true and what does not if that are different than the ones that I'm using, whatever ones you're using, I'm using the same ones. So whatever words you want to use about it, um, yours are telling you that there is an objective reality in the world, and it's this, and it's the Bible, and, and that's fine. Mine, those same faculties I am using, and those same things are not ringing true. And I, and it's like I think people feel as though they are using some higher, purer set of faculties in order to determine that than people who are deconstructing are. And I've just found that not to be true, and I think that it's – and words matter, and so I, I don't mean to – derail our conversation for a second there to say that, but I think it's important because I think that's where people tend to hear a word like that and then immediately dismiss everything that comes after it. Sure. They'll just jump all over it. And, and I, I yeah. hear you. You know, I think, um, I think it's so important my, like for you to have gotten yeah. to a point where you're like, it's my intuition, it's my experience, it's my intellect, it's my gut, it's my it's the it's my feeling that this doesn't make sense and this does not add up and this does not ring true. That is, those faculties you are using to reach that conclusion are just as sound and important for you to listen to as anyone who would claim that those same things are leading them to believe, you know, a conservative view of the Bible or any view of the Bible. And everyone's using the same set of tools. And, and so I don't want anyone to hear my story or your story and discount it saying, Oh, I'm so tired of all these people just so, in such a cavalier, dangerous way, just chasing their feelings. I'm like, <laughs> but that's what you're doing. That's what everyone's doing, you know? Well, like, is it not equally dangerous yes, to deny our feelings and to deny our experience and completely suppress it? 100%. And I feel like that's what I experienced was an utter denial of, of my feelings and my experience, that those right. things didn't matter that this book is true and it's the only lens I have through which to view the world. That's and right. if, you know, if I have an experience, it has to pass through that filter in order for me to understand it. That's right. Um, and I, that was so crippling to me as a human being. Well, you know, 
know, I mean, the Bible says to lean not on your own understanding. You know, it, it literally teaches us to distrust our bodies and just to distrust our intuition. I mean, that's one of, in my opinion, the dangerous things about it is it, it actually has baked into it all the tools to detach you from your kind of intuitive sense of reality in order that you can latch on to something that you're trained to stop thinking about or to really not think critically about over time to determine if it really holds weight and if there really is evidence enough to suspend all of your natural sense of reality and intuition you know in in order to believe and and i think that and 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 as i i hope we would always communicate and i i always try to communicate i'm totally cool with someone with someone's gut and intuition and intellect and experience and feelings leading them right back to evangelical Christianity if that's what rings true to them. I, that's, I'm mm-hmm. cool with that because sure. for me not to be cool with that presumes that I'm certain that I'm correct about what my intuition says, and I certainly am not. Like, I am yeah. absolutely uncertain, and I'm probably wrong, and I'm, I'm <laughs> literally trying to constantly come into new information and in real time de- and reconstruct all the time But what's dangerous is when we start to get locked into our certainty, which closes us off to being able to hear anyone else and to be able to even weigh their opinion and to really hear their story. Yeah, I just want to be able to enjoy and appreciate the people around me. And if I'm constantly going, well, are they right or are they wrong? That's a wall. Yeah. in my heart, you know, it's blocking me. That's exactly right. And you figure out that's just the wrong question. And how, and, and, uh, and so at the end of the day, I mean, here, as we speak today, like what's your relationship to it? Have you, have you managed to find a, a, a way into it that gives you the space to exist as a I gay took, man? You know what I mean? I took like some time off from yeah. thinking about formalized religion I'll put that I'll put it that way and rather what I've done is to think about it in terms of my relationship to um, the gay community here in Tallahassee yes Um, there's a group of us that gets together every Sunday and plays volleyball that's not necessarily a religious activity but there are some aspects of religion present you know you've got community you've got a structure you've got an institution yes it's a liturgical practice one way or the other to some extent yes um it still concerns me exactly what we mean when we say religion. That that's an academic question, not necessarily a emotional question. Right. But to say that I found fulfillment in that, in some way of dealing with this kind of disconnect that I felt from my past, yeah, I would say that. Yeah. Do you feel at this point in your life that you have a meaningful and like personal relationship with? A God who made all things and is both good and powerful as described like in the Bible? Do you feel like you have that or are you even really preoccupied with it right now? It sounds like you're kind of taking a sabbatical from all that. (laughs) Well, I would have to put some big qualifiers on there. Okay, right, Um, sure. Good. I don't necessarily think that the idea of an omnipotent deity is compatible with the sort of world that we have. In other words... There is evil in the world. There are things that happen that I don't think are good. And I don't think that if we hold that God is good, that we can hold that God is both good and powerful at the same time, or at least all powerful. So I really, 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 really like the idea of Jesus. And if I am still a Christian, and I would like to think that I am, it's going to have to do with 
Christ taking up all of the bad shit that happens in the world right. and doing something efe- efficiently efficacious, I suppose, to stop yeah. it or to make it better somehow. I don't know how that works. I'm not a theologian, so I don't know that that's necessarily my job. Um, but yeah, I would put big qualifiers on what um, conservatives mean when they say that they believe well in all of the points of the confessions or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, I just don't know that I can hold those, given my personal lived experience yes. and the experience of seeing uh, the church endorse violence to women, to persons of color, to uh, LGBTQ folk, and the way that that's reflected in American society as a result of our Christian heritage. Yes, that's right. I know. And that's, I mean, and there is uh, some responsibility to pass back um, and even to the source material. And it's pretty liberating to be free of the conclusion bias. I mean, that, and just to be free of the certainty is a great place to start. Yeah, I'm, I'm with you on that. I would also say that, on the other hand, there are people who are doing the kind of constructive theological work that might make Christianity viable for me again. And these are largely yes. feminist theologians, lesbian theologians, yes. those kinds of folks who are doing fantastic stuff. Yes. But to say that these are mainstream Christian movements is definitely not the case. Well, and that's okay, because you know what? I don't think that Christianity ever saw itself as Jesus imagined it, from my understanding, ever saw it as a mainstream religion. I mean, it, it, it was a, it's a peculiar mystic religion. And even the way that it is marketed and talked about now seems to be very much out of harmony with what I read about the first and second century churches. It's like, even the word Christian is, as a, as a category was never a self-applied term. It was only a public verdict. And so yeah. like nobody marched in and said, here we are, yeah. the Christians. It was like, oh, look at those people. Look how they're behaving. They must be the Christians. And it's right. like just the way we practice it at this point and all of the ups and downs and left turn pivots that we've been through over the many years since, you know, since uh, the first century, it's, it's unlikely that it in, bears any resemblance really to what Jesus probably had in mind. And so yeah. I think you're fine to explore it that way. Um, yeah, there's a long and strange history from <laughs> yes. getting at getting from the reformation of Judaism that Jesus probably had in mind to where we are now. I think that's true. So I think you should go looking anywhere you find it. I think and I think that one of the things that you said back there is that what you the one thing that was really important to you is that you didn't want to lose Jesus. You didn't want to mm-hmm. And so my last kind of question or at least I'd be curious to know where where it sits and how it feels to you as of today like so how do you feel about the person of Jesus and the, the, the evangelical Christian narrative of in the economy of salvation and hell and heaven? And like, how does all that feel to you yeah. at this point? Even if you're very flux about it, like, how does it feel today? Yeah. So today, um, <laughs> I, I feel like I, I really love a lot of what Jesus stood for and the way he moved toward the marginalized and loved people and, um, kind of bucked the system and the legalists of the day. Mm. I really love that. Um, I I feel like there could be a lot of mythology surrounding Jesus. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, things like the virgin birth and the resurrection just seem more mythological than mm-hmm. real to me. Um, but I feel like 
Um, you know, I was listening to a podcast with Thich Nhat Hanh the other day. I think that's how you say his name. Yes. And uh, he was asked, who is Jesus? And he says, Jesus is the Buddha to the West. Hmm. And, <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> and I just, you know, I think that um, today, I, I think that he was a man who was able to really um, get over his ego and surrender to the spirit. And um, and so I do still feel like I'm a spiritual person. I, I meditate and um, and I feel like the spirit that I sense is more than psychological, that it is hmm. a, the life breath in me that's in everyone, that's in everything. Um, and so I, I feel a connection to that and I feel um, I feel a desire to sort of get over myself and let love flow through me. Um, in that way and yeah. so I really um, you know I, I know like the Methodists some Methodists and uh, Richard Rohr talk about these different categories of faith as like there's scripture there's reason there's experience and there's tradition hmm. and um, I feel like you know my, my scripture tank is pretty full from over the years so I'm hmm. setting that aside for a little while and my experience tank, I just, I haven't lived yet. I haven't lived with eyes wide open, feet on the ground yet. Mm. And so that's what I'm really trying to fill up right now. And I don't know where I'll land. I don't know if it'll all kind of even out someday and I'll mm. go, oh, now I see. But, um, you know, that denial of my experience, I recognize was, was kind of the root of a lot of trauma in my life. Yeah. And, um, you know, especially going into the counseling profession, um, I need to be able to help people process their feelings. And so it's really important to me to learn how to process my own and really feel That's that. exactly right. Yeah, you, it's, you, you can't, it, it, I can't imagine being able to help guide someone through something that you yourself have never walked, you know, I mean, and it's like, that's, that's, and, and that's why like most great therapists are 60% of it is because they've had great therapy, you know, mm -hmm. and, and my friends who are great counsel to me are, it's, it's usually due to the fact that they've had great counsel, you know, and uh, <laughs> it's a thing that as you receive and as it has an impact on you and you're able to actually put it into practice and use it, that's where you understand it to the depth that you can really apply it, help to apply it to your friends and whatever pain they're going through and, and things like that. And, um, yeah, so that makes perfect sense. And and not surprising to me that the thing that you felt the greatest need for was the work that you pursued for yourself. Um, yeah, that's interesting. And, and I didn't know that, that when I set out. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, you know, it's like, you know, wanting to be the change you wish to see in the world. It's like the, the mm -hmm. uh, for you to say, this is something I needed and did not have. I did not have someone like me um, who had these skills to do this. And so I'm going to be that for people in order that, you know, maybe that stops with me, at least for the people that I can be of some influence to, you know, and, uh, yeah. and I think that's huge, you know, and, uh, and I, man, I, I, well, I'm sure you have people and it sounds like you do, at least on the family side who are, who are concerned and telling you that you're on the wrong side of a slippery slope. But I'll tell you, I think that, that I think that you are in such a good place and really the only best place um that you can be which is reckoning with those things um 
de and reconstructing in real time and trying to do it in a way that doesn't reject anything on its face. And I, and I think that's important. And I think you've learned it, you know, that you've gone through, endured really hard things to learn that for yourself. And, uh, and I'm, so I'm, it's um, encouraging to me to hear that you're pursuing it even at great cost, you know, because it's, it, it's worth it. You know, the, we, as I think we, I probably feel, I feel like I say a lot, you know, the stakes are really high. Like it's worth, it's worth this work that we're doing. It's worth the heartache and the pain of going through it because it matters. Like this stuff matters. It matters yeah. for us to, it's maybe the, the things that matter the very most. And so there there's, it's worth it, you know? So I hope you yeah. feel that. Uh, thank you. No, I appreciate that. I feel like I can't hear that enough yeah. because I hear so much of the other. No, I know. I know. Um, I, I, I do as well. I, yeah. And I would just say, I think, um, you know, in the past, if I, you know, a few years ago, if I had heard someone like me saying these things, mm. I would have gotten a feeling that I would have called dark. Do you know right. what I mean? I do, of course. And, and where I am now, I see that that was just fear. Yeah. And I mean, even in the Bible, it says, you know, perfect love casts out fear that we don't need to be afraid. Do not fear. Do not fear. That's right. And, um, and so I just, I really feel like I've, I've let go of fear and grasped onto love and it's a beautiful freeing thing, but it's very hard to explain to people who are not on this side of mm -hmm. deconstruction. Yeah. Um, or just who doesn't have a, who doesn't have a don't have a framework for it or don't have a language for it that where it, mm -hmm. where it's something that they feel comfortable, uh, mm -hmm. comfortable with. And I, I, so I, I do, I do understand. Um, but yeah, it's, you, you have to find, you know, it, it's a narrower segment of people who, who you can go, who can, who can go through this with you and who can understand you and, and you need to have both, you know, it's, it's, you don't ever want to close yourself off to any, Oh, no. To anything or anyone, but it's like you, 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 it specifically requires people who can understand um, and think in a, in, a, in a good bit of nuance and, and with whom you can have a, a common shorthand, you know, for a season. And so I'm, I'm glad that you're hopefully finding it, you know. And, uh, little by little. Anyway, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's yeah. been a pleasure to get to talk to you. And I really can't yeah. tell you how grateful I am. Uh, for you telling your story and spending the time with me. It means a lot. So, All right. Well, thank you so much as well. Yeah. It's been my pleasure. Thanks for taking the time, Derek. Yeah. All right. We'll talk again sometime. All right. Take so care. Bye-bye. process of questioning or losing everything you once believed, many people of course feel detached and really lose a sense of being anchored to anything. But I think this episode is a testament to the new community found on the other side. Even if the common ground of that new community is less about dogmatic thinking and more about our confusion or openness to the slow process of learning things that are difficult to even articulate. The letting go of certainty and all the trauma that it causes can actually bring people of conscience together. It can liberate us from the harm we do to ourselves and to others, and join us at the table with people we once would have found division with. 
It's one of the best side effects of DN reconstruction, the pain of conscience and integrity which enabled us to challenge our thinking gives way to a convergence. And it's much more rooted in who we are at our core than most of the community we've known from church. It puts us in a place to find new friends and new resonant community where before we would have been prevented from trusting ourselves or others. Where there are walls of ideology and dogma, they topple. And we find we're actually close to so many wonderful people we never would have recognized before. These calls began from similar contexts and yet featured two distinct paths at first. But the further along they got in the story, the more they joined. The more the conversations began to track together at a deeper level, the more their lingering confusions and patient hopes found a common voice beyond simplistic conformity to the roles once laid out before them. Two disparate voices united by complexity and nuance and wonder. It's so much of what we aim to be and do here with the airing of grief in general. So make sure you continue to share the podcast with those you encounter who need to hear these conversations and who need to know that this same space is being held for them. For more, you can check us out at theairingofgrief.com. We are, of course, on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and you can also help support the podcast at patreon.com slash theairingofgrief. Once the season winds down officially, we'll continue to release bonus content and calls to our patrons there. We so appreciate all of you guys. Thanks for listening and engaging and being with us in all of this. And that's all for now, but we will see you next week after church for the airing of grief. Mm-hmm.